He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Delray Beach, Florida, here's Bruno DiGiulio. And welcome, it's Bruno DiGiulio, along with my good friend Ron Flatter from Las Vegas. Ron, I think uh, I think we found a place to play this week. I think so, between where you are, where the weather is traditionally good this time of year, and where I am, where it's traditionally good only this time of year, because it gets too hot otherwise, we found a good weather place down by the bayou, which is also a good place to be playing the horses this week. It's right, and I got a good buddy of mine who is a fantastic handicapper and a mm-hmm. guest. He's going to he joined us. Uh, he, he joins us on our on our Zoom class and meeting, and uh, we've got some handicapping to talk to to him about. But before we do that, would you tell us what's going on lately? The big news of the day was Prince Khalid Abdullah died, the head of Judmont Farms, the creator of uh, Judmont Farms, the man who really thrust it into such prominence. I mean, we remember Arrowgate, I guess that would be of the American horses in the multinational operation of Judmont. He would be the one we would remember on Prince Khaled's watch. And Nabal, of course, was also part of that uh, stable. We also remember Frankel was a part of that stable. Uh, The connection, of course, the connective tissue between Prince Khaled and his relationships with trainers in the United States included uh, the late Bobby Frankel. And uh, that's that's just the beginning of the list. But the bigger question, I should also mention Empire Maker, uh, Dancing Brave, Flintshire, Dane Hill. Uh, those were also part of Prince Khaled's legacy. But I think one of the questions, Bruno, that's going to come up, and it's already been raised, there's been no comment from about management about this, is What's going to happen to the future of the farm? Will it remain business as usual, or could it be diametrically opposite, a dispersal, or something maybe in the large gray area in between? Your guess is good in mine. You know, the one thing about the Genmont, uh, the, the Genmont farm is the Aga Khan. Um, the, the one thing that was, that was amazing about him is that, you know, we kind of saw him explode when Bobby Frankel started bringing all the European horses out here. And uh, uh, they were, they were phenomenal uh, as far as the team together. And um, I believe Frankel was his too, right? Did you mention that? I did mention Frankel, maybe arguably the best miler of all time, depending on who you want to talk to certainly would be among the Mount Rushmore of those in Europe. And I think uh, also hmm? named, named after his favorite trainer. Yeah, absolutely. And as as you look at this going forward, too, I mean, the key figures now as we look ahead are Garrett O'Rourke, who runs the U.S. operation for Judmont out of Kentucky, and uh, Lord Teddy Grimthorpe, who uh, is really the the lead guy. I think if there's going to be someone who's going to have his finger on the pulse of what's going to happen, keep your eyes and ears tuned to England and hear and see what he has to say in the coming days, probably not right away. I'm sure they're going to say it's not an appropriate time in a period of mourning to try to speculate about the future of the farm. But in due time, we're going to learn, and in due time, we'll probably hear it from one of those two men. And speaking of England, I would love this uh, coming June um, to take a trip to England to go to Royal Ascot. But if we can't, 
what we're going to do is we're going to have one of these every night at the Royal Ascot meet. And we're going to talk about Royal Ascot racing. I've done quite well there. I've had a lot of fun. We you won't sleep much. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be great. It'll be great. We'll do it the night before and then we'll get up early. So oh, yeah. well, go ahead and finish with your news. Because mm. we've got a special guest, but don't tip your hat off yet. All right. I won't do that. Uh, some, I suppose we could call it personnel news for lack of a better way of per, uh, putting it with equines. Thousand Words was retired uh, from the Bob Baffert barn. So there's a star-crossed horse that you look at and say, gee, what could have been with him? Uh, we also know now, based on how the entries and the plans are going to go forward, not only is Mucho Gusto not going to be in the Pegasus World Cup Invitational on the dirt, $3 million race, but Zulu Alpha uh, will not be racing on the Pegasus World Cup turf race. And so that means both defending winners of those races a week from Saturday at Gulfstream Park will not be involved in the race. And so uh, that becomes uh, a, a, a big absence. And then one more thing on top of that, Baffert did say that Charlatan will not be going into the Pegasus World Cup, instead focusing on the Saudi Cup. So in many ways, there was that concern that with the Saudi Cup being placed in late February, that it could cannibalize the Pegasus World Cup. You could say that has come That's to pass in the two years since it's kind of interesting that he decides that he's not going to take charlatan there. It could add anything to do that they're testing for clombuterol now. Could be any number of things, right? But aren't they uh, testing? But aren't they testing asking. in the Saudi Arabia? Uh, yeah, but eh, I don't know. I, I, you know, it just kind of it kind of makes you go, hmm. All of a sudden, they're testing for clombuterol at Gulfstream, and it's like, well. If you just, uh, Bruno, way, if you just go by the saber rattling of what's come out of Saudi Arabia, especially as much as they were beating their chests over what happened with Jason Service last year and their first winner of that race, Maximum Security, uh, the purse, to our knowledge, still being held up from Gary and Mary West, the $10 million. And so there was all that chest thumping and, and over drug test testing. Positive. They just say he didn't test positive for anything. Correct. Yeah. So. There's so the Saudis. There's that's a little bit of a wild card in that, and it's less to do with the culture of the Saudis than it is that we don't have much history on the race. So there is that. But that's uh, all of that build up to what's going to be a big day of racing at the fairgrounds. And the LeCompte card came up stacked, and Mandaloon, a horse already being bet down heavily here in Las Vegas in Derby futures. Coming into a full field, you've got a couple of Michael Stidham runners that will be in this race. Well, maybe one or two. Manor House may scratch and go into an earlier race on the card on an allowance race. But you've also got Proxy, who's very promising, and just a very good card. And I think, uh, Bruno, that brings us to what you were talking about a moment ago. Well, as you know, Ron Flatter is my favorite Vegas guy. Well, i got to tell you. My favorite guy from New Orleans, from Louisiana, is a very good friend of mine, and I want to I want to introduce you to him. His name is Michael Bacha. Michael, how are you? I'm good, Bruno. How are you doing? Hey, Ron, how are you? I great am well, Michael. Great to see you, my friend. And I want to introduce you to our racing with Bruno Zoom, um, Zoom guys and ladies, Michael Bacha. Um, Michael is the winner of the 2012 NHC Championship. 
He's been a friend of mine since about the middle of 2011. And uh, we're going on a 10-year anniversary, my friend. Uh, we both got a little bit less hair, but we're healthy, you know? <laughs> so so the, first of all, tell everybody a little bit about you. Where did you come from before you got into the racing and before you became an NHC champion? Well, <clears throat> when I came out of the womb, I guess I was betting on horses, it seemed like, because uh, – I started betting on horses when I was about 12 or 13 years old uh, at the fairgrounds. And um, a fellow who worked for my dad's law firm uh, would bring me as, as he would babysit me uh, whenever, um, whenever my dad had work to do on the weekends. And uh, that fellow's name was James Carville. So he, he, he actually led me into the two passions of my life, which are horse racing and politics. Politics is what I do for a living. Um, and horse racing is what I do for, for hobby and sport, but it's become a little bit more of a, you know, a little bit of a business. I do the, the, the uh, daily selections for the fairgrounds for the newspaper in Baton Rouge and new Orleans now. Um, and I've been doing that for about six or seven years. So um, that's, kind of where I came from. I'm born and raised in Louisiana, Louisiana boy through and through. Um, and that's where, that's where I'm going to, you know, end up my life. It looks like in Louisiana, betting on the horses and staying involved in politics. Now you have been, um, by the way, a happy 2021 to you and everybody else that, that I haven't seen last week, but, um, the one thing that I really um, enjoyed is that you and I got, I don't remember where we met. Where did we meet? Oh, that's a good question, Bruno. I think we met uh, per in person um, at maybe the end. No, it wasn't the NHC because uh, you weren't there that year. Uh, no, it wasn't. No. I think it we was met something the first time. We met Derby. you through the, the Rotondos. We met through the Rotondos on some kind of thing that we were doing and we, we it was 2011 we, yeah <clears throat> yeah uh well it was a year after the it was a year it was a month after i won the nhc i think uh no I, I met you before the nhc did you well we talked yeah. on the phone we, we had a we had a we had a phone call we had we had phone oh, calls true you you became a subscriber and yep. we started chatting that's right and um probably one of the most one of the best calls I ever got from a subscriber, it was my call on Thanksgiving Day weekend, on the Thanksgiving night weekend in 2011. I think it was a Saturday night. We had popped off with a $67 Flint first-time starter. And Michael shows up on my phone as I'm working up in the what is now the mansion at Churchill. And I'm working uh, for the next day's card. And Michael calls me, and we're talking. And he says, you know what, Bruno? My handicapping is so much better with workouts. And, you know, that, that to me meant a lot. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, you get, you get kind of side-swapped, you know, and, um, you know, by people and who don't understand all you do. And, and here, here's this gentleman calling me out of the blue. He doesn't know me very well or anything. And, and you know, he's telling me, you know, how much he appreciates it. That means a lot. And um, lo and behold... What happened that January 2012? Yeah, well, in January 2012, it all kind of came together um, for two days, uh, now three days in HC. 
And, you know, with clearly with the help of uh, your information, uh, on a, that's my dog, I'm sorry, on a first-time starter uh, at Santa Anita, trained by Dan Hendricks, Dan Hendricks Melrose Woods, uh, who had a, who had a, just a sparkling workout, according to you, and I think was 35 to 1. Uh, that was the horse that pretty much put me – you know, over the top or, or, or near the top of the leaderboard. Um, and, you know, people say, well, you just had, you know, you were just stabbing, but it was day one. And if you're a contest player, you know, you're, you're not usually playing 35 to ones on day one. But I, I would always point to the fact that my brother and I absolutely crushed the race betting on it. So it wasn't just a it wasn't just a, you know, a stab at a, at a contest horse. It was solid workout information um, that you provided, period. End of story. And, uh, you know, I probably – we wouldn't be sitting here talking to each other if I hadn't read that, uh, that comment about you – No, know, if you wouldn't have bet it, I would have been mad at you. you know? <laughs> Which I do get mad at you. That, that same day – we had a 35 to one shot that won in, the, in a $10,000 claiming race at Gulfstream. I loved them. I had all the red stuff on it. Look, you know, four star work, everything. And I remember after, after about two, three races, I, I think we spoke and I said, did you bet that horse? And you went, oh, no. no. you, you did, you did that shame thing. And no, but, you know, it was, but because you did that it was, was there too that day. And he yeah. also didn't bet it, you right. know? Yeah. Well, I learned my lesson. So the next <laughs> one that came up, I was, I was, I was all over it, uh, all over it. And then Michael and I got the pleasure of working on horse players together. And tell a little bit about how, how tell people about horse players. Some people may not know the, the horse player series. <laughs> well, it was, it was a short run uh, of seven or eight episodes, but it was, it was a blast to make. We, we were able to travel around the country, a group of, uh, misfits and, and gamblers and storytellers and, uh, uh, egomaniacs. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of fun doing it. Um, it could have been done a little bit better, but I think the Esquire network had their own ideas of, how to tell the stories, but the stories that didn't get told on air, the stories that we told and the interactions that we had just goofing off and around the dinner table. Uh, you know, those were the things I think that were most entertaining that would have been more entertaining than just seeing us play contest, which was to me kind of boring. Uh, but the backstories of everybody seemed, you know, to me were very, very interesting. These are very uh, successful people in most of their own uh, endeavors and they all found their way to horse racing some way or another. And uh, so collectively, we were just a group of, uh, you know, just it was just a lot of fun to make. Uh, we were highly, highly, highly competitive, too. Highly great characters. Yeah, great characters. And the one episode that, that I thought that always is dear to my heart is we are, Michael and I are going to go to the sales. We're going to go to Basic Tipton on <laughs> the expensive sale. And, and Michael says, I'll go to 100. We'll go to 100,000 on a horse. Yeah. So we find one who's later in the night. It's a tailor-made horse. Now we're at Saratoga. Yeah, Saratoga. Saratoga uh, 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 summer sale. So, so 
all of a sudden we're watching in the gallery and we get a text. I get a text on my phone. We need to do it right now. We need to have you guys bidding on a horse right now. And I'm looking like, well, 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 wait, wait a second. What do you mean? You know, we got to do it right now. Well, everybody's tired. Everyone's going home. So we need to shoot this right now. Okay. So we have all our equipment on. We, you know, we, we all, you know, we've got our, uh, uh, you know, monitors on and everything. And the next horse that comes into the ring, um, we got a bid on. And it's Royal Delta's half-brother. <laughs> okay? Kozan. Ends up being Kozan. So here's this beautiful horse, half the Royal Delta. And we go up to about 125000 Michael's already kind of like going, stop. Yeah. And it stops at 125,000 and it just lingers there. Right. And they're going 125,000 once. And we're going like, Oh no, you know, here's a Royal Delta's half brother who can't get past 125,000. And we're thinking, what's he got? What are we going to, you know, and he ended up selling for 350,000. Michael had a big relief, but that was fun because now, you know, Kozan, who, who he became, and he's a, basically a top stallion in Florida. So it, it was really fun. We were, we were a little. Uh, I was nervous. Yeah, we were a little, you know, like, oh, no. <laughs> well, I can always say I was the underbidder on Kozan. That's my, that's my yeah, class. The only horse I ever bid yes. on, I'm the underbidder on Kozan. I know what I'm doing. Now, Michael, have you had a chance to take a look at the Friday card, uh, that Thursday card uh, for Fairgrounds? I, I mean, I, I've glanced at it in passing. I'll do my real work uh, tomorrow morning on the card because I need, I have to have my picks in by tomorrow afternoon for, for, um, for, for Thursday, which, you know, comes with its own, um, it challenges because you don't know especially the fairgrounds you don't know you know where um whether if there's rain if there's if there's just a little rain sometimes it, it goes off turf um right, you right. Just, like last week i didn't even what, put, well, you, you know last week i didn't even put off turf because it didn't even rain but they took the races off the turf so it's, it can be challenging but i'll say this I, there's no rain in the forecast i think for the next four or five days so through the weekend maybe even through monday where there's monday racing we should be on the turf and the turf is just it really is in great shape it's playing you know depending on where they put the rail um the the rail placement on the turf course at the fairgrounds is definitely plays into how I handicap the races on the turf. Um, when it's, you know, tell us about that. Yeah. So when it's tell like, us about that. So when it's, you know, 12, 18, um, you know, it's probably fair. I would say it's more fair, but the rail can be put down at zero and it can also be put out at 25. And I've seen it even out further at, uh, 32 maybe 32 feet which really narrows the course but so when it's at zero it can not all the time but it 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 tends to favor uh speed horses when it's at zero and when like like a lot (laughs) Uh, i mean it can really get a bias on it but when it's at 25 plus it definitely tends to favor um horses that are you know don't that can close 
Um, and I've made, you know, most of my good plays betting on turf horses that either are switching from one or the other type of course, the zero rail to the 25 rail, because it'll over the form will make it look like a horse that was running that is a closer on a zero rail look really bad. And so it'll inflate the price because it's really hard to close. So, you know, you can get a really good price. Well, I'd say value on horses that should be lower than they are just based upon their, their previous race when it was a bad rail. And the same thing is for, you know, when the rail is way out, you know, speed horses really, really struggle uh, way out because it's just a, I don't know why. Uh, I mean, it's it, it, the turns are harder for them to negotiate. I think um, it just favors closers. Um, it doesn't. You know, there'll be times when it is just absolutely an extreme bias. But I haven't really seen that this year yet. But it definitely makes the track more f- fair, so that you're upgrading and downgrading horses that run on each of the situations in their previous starts. It's just a way to find some value for, you know, horses that don't look so good, you know, because as handicappers, most of us really, you know, we want to know what have you done for me lately? You know, so everybody's looking at that last race and like, oh, shit, that horse, man, he he did. He ran horrible. I mean, he ran 10 points lower on a brisk net figure. His, you know, his I don't look at buyers, but his buyer number is lower. You know, he must be going off form when the truth is he just ran into a bad turf track that he. You know, he, his, his, his style of running either speed horse or closer um, was compromised seriously. So if you throw that out, you know, you're going to get some value on those type of, those type of horses at the fairgrounds. Yeah. The turf at the fairgrounds is very quirky. Yeah. Um, uh, what you mentioned that, you know, when I see a lot of rain and it's really uh, the, 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 the turf is on the good side. I, I tend to look for speed. Speed carries very well. And, and, and for all the right reason, you know, if you can grab a hold of the turf, you know, then, then the late runners can really accelerate down the stretch. Also, is it true that at fairgrounds sometimes you can find that path on the turf? Well, the path, you said path? Path, yes. Yeah. Well, right now it really seems like the path is in the middle of the track. So that, that's when the rail was at 25 feet. So the horses that are running on the rail speed, you know, if you're, you're, if you're, you know, on the lead, you're probably on the rail. Those horses are not finding the best, uh, the best going. Uh, and it's definitely to me, at least this last weekend was horses that are out in the middle of the track, making a move, you know, even two, three wide, four wide, or have some better ground to run on. Um, now you got to watch, I don't know where the rail is going to be on Thursday, um, it's not in the, it's not in the form anymore. They used to put it in there, but it's not in there. So you just kind of have to wait till the day of to see where they, where they put it. The one thing about it is interesting. And when I, when I brought up a path, um, uh, I go back to about 1999, every year at Del Mar before the meet started, I would take a walk on the turf course and I would grab a jockey with uh, a couple of years in a row was Michael Bays. Uh, but that year I took. Kent Sormo, I asked Kent if he wanted to join me on the turf course. And we went, we were walking on it, and he's 
testing every side of it. He's walking like like a drunken sailor, you know. Pardon Kent, you know, maybe he was. Um, but um, he finds a path, and he's with me. The 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 track superintendent, the turf superintendent, and he says, "I want to I want to race on this path right here, and I want to be right here." He was looking for a spot that you know what, and what he was doing. He was following the track marks from the from the lawnmower. And a couple of days later, there was a I think it was the Ramona. And he was riding a horse for Thoroughbred Corporation and Neil Drysdale. I want to say Fiji, but it wasn't Fiji. Uh, something like that. And he wins the race. I was standing near the paddock. I mean, near the, the, the winter circle. And he's coming up to the winner's circle. As he's walking into the winner's circle, he yells over, Hey, B, I rode that path, and I was thinking about you at the eighth pole. <laughs> it made me crack up, you know, because here he's, you know, he's, 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 he found that path, and it was because we ended up taking a walk on the turf course. And, and that's something that, that I wish I could do more because it was really, really, and, and, you know, enlightening because – at Del Mar, the way the wind blew from the ocean, and they did the the and they and, and the water sprinklers were on, all the water would end up on the inside. The water would get blown to the inside, so uh, it it all depended on which way the wind was was really blowing, or if there was any wind. So you would get one part of the turf course that would get a lot more water, um, in comparison to other part of the turf course because of that. And also the salinity of, of the water um, in the air at Del Mar really played tricks with, with, the, with the grass. So um, it, it's really interesting to me um, is sometimes as we have a question about the daily rail information on the daily racing form, I'm not sure. Somebody can, can chime in. Um, I always try to make noise of, notes of it. I mean, I, you, I think – it used to be on the overnights um, where they would list the rail position. Uh, and then the Brisnet form or has used to have it um, and still does the day of. But as I downloaded today's, uh, well, Thursdays and Saturdays, it's not in there. But it will be on in there the day of the race. Uh, you know, and if you use Twin Fires, uh, I know that they will um, – that they'll put it in into the late changes or something like that. They'll, they'll note the, it'll be right up here as Bruno's pulling this up. You see race forward. It'll be right above where that you have the post time for the track, right in the conditions. It'll be rail. It will be at 25 feet or 18 feet or something like that or zero. And I pulled up the fourth race, Michael. Yeah. Um, and I was uh, hoping we, you can uh, give me some idea. Uh, I, there's a horse I'm interested in here. Uh, it's the number three horse. Uh, it's my <laughs> tune. And I don't know who that owner is, but. Uh, um, I, don't, uh, I, I can't believe he's licensed in Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Hey, wait, wait a minute. Why not? Why can't I be licensed in Louisiana? You're right. We license everybody. Uh, yeah. But what am I thinking? License right, to kill. <laughs> hey, here's uh, what I want to ask you, Bruno, about this horse. So, yeah. So, um, 
what I look at a lot, as you know, and Ron and I have talked about this on various times, and it's still, it still, you know, pays off. And it's just one of these little things, you know, that, so the dam of this horse is catchy tune. Mm-hmm. Do you know, because uh, I can't, you can't pull it up right now, uh, although you could put up on Equibase probably, but did you know what she did in her first start? And has she had any foals that have won first time out? Uh, let me pull it up right now. Well, let me tell you a little bit about her. Yeah. A, a, a few months ago. You talk about it, I'll pull it up. Yeah. Um, well, actually, I have the whole, I have the, um, I, I got it. Um, and I uh, just need to go. Uh, uh, the best way to do it, do it this way. Anyway, we were sitting. I was my. Uh, the guy that handles our horses, Rudy, called me one day and said, hey, there's this filly that bucked a shin and she's out of the sales at OBS and you might want to go, you want, you want to go, well, you've got to find out what she looks like. Go look at it. She might be worth buying because they can't make the sale. So she was in the March sale in 2019. And anyway, so she scratched and I went and looked at her. I found her and I went and looked at her. And when I did, when I looked at her, I loved her. Uh, she is a really um, really pretty filly. And here's her pedigree. This is Catchy Tune. She was a winner at three and four at Santa Anita down the hill. She was second in the Wishing Well Stamp Stakes. Um, she was uh, half to a couple of winners, and Michael can look that up. But when I looked in, down on the second dam, her dam was unbridled assay. It was an on-race uh, dam of, uh, of seven winners. One of them was Catchy Tune. The other one was Analyze It. That's the grade one winner of the, um, I want to say the Secretariat, and he won another major race. He ran third in the Breeders' Cup mile for Chad Brown. Uh, also, Fine Assay, who I clocked when I was in California. I watched Fine Assay as a Paco Gonzalez, uh, McCaffrey, and Toffin horse. The third dam, I clocked her too. Her name was AP Assay. APS, they won 381000 And what was interesting about her, I loved her first time out she ever ran, and she won. She was off for two years, came back as a four-year-old, and won the A-Gleam handicap off a two-year layoff. She was fast. She ran second in the Ancient Title Breeders' Cup. Um, she was a really, really nice horse. The fourth dam, believe it or not, I saw her train too, and I loved her first time out also. Her name was Nice Assay. Bruno, I think what you just established is that you're old uh, and you've seen a lot of horses. Yes. <laughs> but this is a really, really strong line. And, yeah. catchy, and catchy tune. So when I went in and I went in and bought her, uh, I bought her for $100,000. Um, and we had her almost ready to run in November. As a two-year-old, um, she was working in company with another horse, and that other horse, uh, right at the uh, first of all, she started showing something right away. Right away, she showed she had talent. And um, she was outworking everything. She works with this claimer that had won a race for, for Norm, you know, because he wanted to get a good work into her, you know, five, half mile out five eighths. Well, what happens is 
the the horse on the inside bolts at the half mile pole and just kicks her right in the sh- in, in in the pastern area and it developed a huge lymphoma that took us about six months to get back because we couldn't tell we had to wait for all the swelling to go down to see if there was any tear any broken it, well, all we could see was a black when we ultrasound and we had took x-rays area on the bone well we got her over that we got her going and um she is a really nice filly um we're sprinting her first time out on the turf um because i think she wants to be a sprinter she's not she doesn't like deep tracks her 48 and 3 on january 8 she worked with another horse and she was just messing with that other horse she's got a lot of speed she should break um don't let those works fool you um she can run um and I'm hoping that that we're going to get a good trip and we got a good rider and and Norm's gotten off to a decent start. And I wouldn't look at those stats. I think this Philly's got some talent. She could be right there. But did you look at the rest of the field? Who should I worry about? I really haven't taken a look other than um, other than your horse. I mean, I'll just uh, I'll dive in, like I said, tomorrow. Uh, is jockeys very important at fairgrounds? You know, I, I uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I, I don't know if this is, is uh, normal, but I mean, I, I look yeah, like tomorrow or Thursday, you know, th- there's only, there were only like 20 jockeys that are riding. Uh, that seems like a, a small number. Um, I, I don't know what that, you know, that, that may be, I don't know. I've never really looked at that before, but I just went to look for a particular trainer and jockey. And I said, wow, it just didn't, the, the jockey colony doesn't seem to be, you know, very, uh, very large, but I'll say James Graham is, is just, I mean, he, he's riding so well right now on both surfaces. He, he rides the turf so well. Uh, the biscuit Adam Bashiza is probably the best, I think, turf rider. Um, he finishes so, so strong. Um, you know, I would I'll, I'll always kind of give those horses a little extra look. Um, Mitchell Merle is riding the dirt. Just, you know, he's getting all the mounts for he's riding some very, very live mounts and mostly claimers. Um, and then, uh, you know, Florent Giroux can ride. He, he's getting, you know, kind of the he gets the cream of the crop and it shows. Um, so he, you know, but I think the, the jockey that does the most with the, you know, the less, the fewer horses and talent is. James Graham is just – he just wins. I mean, it just yeah, – and, and it helps that Thomas – Tom Amos has been red hot. It, yeah. I mean, that's the last couple of weeks Tom has been the hottest trainer there, and it does help. But, he, Jay, I mean, he'll just win with any – he he seems like he just wins with a lot of horses that just don't – you know, if, if they didn't have him on them, I don't think they would win. I mean, that's that's the ultimate compliment I think you can give. What's, you know? uh, what's Jimmy's uh, best trait, best asset? I think he's a great uh, judge of pace. Uh, I mean, he's always going to – he seems – he knows that he, his horses need where they need to be, which is the fairgrounds and the dirt sprints where he excels. You know, you usually need to be really close. Um, you know, so he's always going to just put his horse in the race. That seems to me like, – um, and he's a good finisher too. You know, he's a good, finisher, a good judge of pace. He's – he rides the, the fairgrounds as well as anybody's ridden it probably in the last, you know, decade or so. 
with with you know he he doesn't get the mouse that Florent Giroux gets and you know even Bashiza gets with you know riding for you know some of the Asmussen and Sharp and them you know Graham seems to ride for you know the middle of the rotors I mean I'm not calling Tom Amos the middle of the rotor he's 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 one of the best I mean you know I hope he's in the Hall of Fame at one point but um he's just a he's just a working class kind of jockey I mean he just he just wins, you know. I always like to see him on my horse. Always. Yeah. Um, Michael and I owned a very, very good horse there. Don't we? we got very unlucky with Shavi, and um, we we ended up having uh, uh, we ended up having Luis Contreras on us when he was up at Woodbine. So we never got a chance with some of these riders that are some of our favorites. But um, but Florence Giroux has really got to win. I think, what did he win? Uh, it, did he win a number of races in a row at one point? He had a good week two weeks ago. I mean, he's winning at 30%. So, you know, you that that's for a jockey. That's otherworldly. I mean, that is – but, you know, he's, he's getting first call for, for Cox, who, you know, wins at a high percentage – um, but he, he's, he's just, Florence Rouge is very good. I mean, he's just, just a really good jockey. Um, can't, can't knock him. Now he will, he'll, he'll be leaving to go to Oaklawn in a couple of weeks. So that'll open up, you know, a lot of mounts for the Brad Cox, uh, horses. Um, and boy, Brad's another guy. And, and, uh, you got uh, you, this Saturday, we're going to have, there's a great card. I was working on the works. I'm going to have a ton of works for the Friday card for fairgrounds, uh, excuse me, for the Saturday card at fairgrounds. And Friday night, I am considering um, doing a, um, I'm considering doing a Gulfstream fairgrounds, Gulfstream fairgrounds um, uh, Zoom. Uh, and um, so anybody that's interested in playing those and, and I'll put out a package for that. If you're interested in getting on the Zoom, I'll let you know, and we'll do that Friday night. Maybe we can have some fun. How's that sound, guys? Maybe we can even uh, twist uh, Michael's arm a little bit. Here. So, Michael, um, so tell us a little bit what you do now. I know you have Chalk's picks. What do you, what do you, what do, you do with them? Where, where can somebody pick them up uh, if they want to play fairgrounds? Uh, yeah, uh, so they're in the 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 uh, Baton Rouge Advocate, the New Orleans Advocate, uh, the New Orleans Times Picayune. They're all that's all owned by the same media company. Um, you know, I, I wish that they were online, um, available every day. Um, sometimes they put them online for free. Sometimes they don't. But I usually post them online uh, via Twitter at Baychock Racing um, for free. But you can also, which would really help, uh, you can just go get a, a subscription to the newspaper, <laughs> which is old school, and get the e, you know, the 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 e edition. It's in the e edition every day. Um, but yeah, so I'll do I'll do that for the you know this is I think the sixth or seventh year, uh, and I try to, you know, the, of course the the bogey for public handicappers to me is you know doing a positive return on investment for every win, you know, every horse that you pick on top or, or second. And, um, you know, we've beaten the takeout for the past few years with both first and second choices, which is very important. Uh, we're, we're even right now. Um, so, you know, we're, 
it's been a you know a, a real a easy year so i'm not easy it's just it's been a normal year so far hopefully we'll knock out some long shots in the next couple of weeks and get to a positive roi but you know i mean i really i know people follow it because when i go to the track that you know i'm always hey follow your picks see all that and so I, I put the time into it and i'm i mean it's important to me to you know i'm betting these horses myself um so you know i'm never betting on a horse that I didn't put in the form or in the paper, unless I see something later on or track conditions change. I mean, these are actually, you know, for good, for better or for worse, you know, these are my, these are, these are my picks. So yeah, they're available at the advocate, um, br.com and nola.com. Michael, will you be, um, can you spend a few minutes and take some questions? Sure. All right. Uh, what I'd like to do is guys, if you can, um, if you can send me uh, a, a note via your chat, if you'd like to ask a question. Um, we've got a couple of guys here already that sent one through. Uh, Ron, you have a question for Michael. I always have a question for Michael. I'm going to take it away from the track for a moment while everyone else loads up. I don't want to hog the, the track questions. But I will ask about the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act and ask you to put on your politician's hat. When last you and I spoke, we were wondering when it would be signed, and now that it has been signed, you had openly asked the question as to who's going to fund this thing because the dollars mechanism is not written into the bill. In your discussions and conversations and gossip over the last couple of weeks, what have you heard about how it's going to be put into place? I wish I had an answer. Um, I have a call tomorrow night on that subject. Um, Hopefully we'll have some answers. Um, I know there are a lot of questions. I know that there's been a lot of pressure put on um, through conversations, just, you know, the jockey club, making sure that they are aware that it is uh, a non-starter for the, um, for the funding mechanism of enforcement and testing to be funded by horse players, you know, through either uh, higher takeouts, uh, diversions of purse money, any, anything that comes from a parimutuel pool, you know, should not go to fund this. I mean, that's that's a penalty to horse players, and we can't really, you know, we're so much behind the eight ball, as you know, with takeout right now that we can't we can't take on anything else. So, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> as you and I talked, Ron, I think I still think there's an awful lot of hurdles to get over. You know, the, the horseman's benev- HBPA, national HBPA, is, is vehemently against it. And I, I, I fully expect them to file some sort of either a state-based lawsuit that says this is a state's rights issue and you can't, you know, you can't uh, mandate from the federal, uh, by federal law, what we can do in a state and how we license people because people are licensed in a state and there's no provision in there as far as I know for national licensing. So it's, it's a mess. I mean, I certainly applaud and I support additional testing. You know, we don't get these drugs and the, and the thieves and the crooks out of, you know, the business, the business is going to go away. Um, that can be said about everything. Yeah. Right. And uh, Kevin Deckel has a question about the turf course at Fair, uh, Fairgrounds. Was it rebuilt this year? No, we re- they they rebuilt the turf course four maybe four years ago. We had a really bad year where it just it, it, 
they were, it was a bad course. I mean, the course has just gone into disrepair and it was, they were not putting the maintenance into it in the off season. And so actually it took an act of the legislature <laughs> to get Churchill Downs, uh, our good friends at Churchill Downs, um, to, to invest the money to repair and uh, repair the turf course. So it's probably been four years now. This might be our fourth year with this course. And it is really, I mean, it's just in a, it's in really good shape. I mean, it looks fantastic. Uh, and they, you know, they, they spend the time on, on ma- uh, maintaining it in the off season, which is very important. And Michael, didn't, um, they, um, didn't a hurricane Katrina, um, um, then, uh, was that uh, hurricane Katrina that did a lot of damage to that turf course and it took a long time to get it back? Not really, Bruno. I mean, it, the, the, the track flooded, um, the whole area flooded, you know, there were probably uh, three, four five feet of water for, for quite a while there, but you know, it was grass and grass comes back. Um, so, but I, at the end of the day, the issue was that, Churchill was skimping on the maintenance, uh, which was causing the, you know, cancellation of turf racing for the smallest amount of rain. So they had to get a lot of rain there anyway, during, well, it's really not that they had to improve the drainage and it was, it was expensive. Uh, it was, it was a drainage issue and uh, people need to understand that new Orleans and that particular part of new Orleans is, below sea level in other words it is it is in a bowl so it is lower than the water table so when it does rain it, it it's almost like a double whammy so like a, you know a quarter of inch of rain is almost like a half of inch because it sits below the water line it's in a bowl the whole yeah, city I, bowl. having been there you don't realize it no, until you, you go there and, and you take a drive and you go up right up to the levees, right? And, yeah. and you walk up this hill and you look down on the levees and there's the water. water and you, down, you walk to the hill and the water is here. So then when you, yeah. when you walk down to the street, the water is up here. And you're like, well, that's just not right. And that's just the yeah. way. It so so yeah. when it rains, you know, it, it, it's, it's almost a double whammy. And they, they had to improve the, uh, the drainage and they did. And the turf course is in great shape. A uh, question from iPad is uh, – if the HR, HHR machines are shut down, what happens to all the tracks that CDI operates? Do you know anything about that? What's, I don't know what an HHR oh, He's talking about yeah, what I believe is happening is that I believe that uh, uh, Churchill will win that argument um, that they are not um, against the Constitution of, of Kentucky because they are paramutual. And the, the actual question about the machines is that the ones that they, uh, that I believe, uh, which track had to take them down, I don't remember right now. But um, the one that had to take them down is because they- um, Oh, the historical racing uh, machines? Is that what we're talking about? Uh, yeah, it's the historical racing we have, I mean, we have slots in, in, in Louisiana, so. I mean, I don't know that that pertains to, you know, we have slots. We just passed sports gambling, thank goodness. Um, horsemen won't receive a penny from that because they're horsemen uh, and they didn't, <laughs> they didn't mobilize. Uh, 
And uh, but no, I, I mean we have slot machines and full gambling here in Louisiana, but I don't know about the HHR machines and. Uh, I mean, who runs? Who runs? Who runs the Horseman's? You know, legal department, Giuliani. <laughs> I'm not taking no that. comment. <laughs> I didn't even get a smile from anybody. Nobody thought that would be funny. Okay, you know. Um, I think something would win with air dive coming down your face. I thought something would be, you know, worth something there. Um, how much will the quality of racing at fairgrounds decline after Oakland opens? Yeah. You know, I think uh, that's a good question. I, it definitely, you know, it definitely affects field size. Um, I don't think it affects the stakes um, because you get you know, correct. Um I don't. I don't know that it. it used, I think it used to affect it a lot more than it does than it does today. It's, it's definitely you know you'll see a little, a, you know, a little bit shorter fields. Maybe some of the allowance races you know might fill six and seven instead of eight and nine. But the thing is, what 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 won't be affected is turf racing because True. I don't I don't think Oakland has a turf track. But I, I'd heard that they were putting were they putting one in. Um, I don't – not this year. Not this year? Well, the interesting part of it, too, is Oakland is actually going to um, – is actually supposedly not going to allow clenbuterol. Up until this year, clenbuterol has been um, uh, permissible to, uh, to race on um, at Oakland, and this year they're not. And I'm in, I'm wor- I'm wondering if some guys that would go to Oakland to race because because of the clenbuterol they're not going to. Um, I've always felt the shippers were really good into Oakland and even into fairgrounds from from Oakland. They kind of you know, uh, I used to look at a lot of Osmosons coming from from fairgrounds to Oakland and they'd run big fresh. Um, have you ever uh, taken a uh, taken a look at that particular angle angle uh, at the at the races? Well, I mean, you know, if he's run if he's racing his horses, any trainer Cox is dangerous there. Asmussen, uh, Amos, because you know their horses have gotten some uh, training and racing, and so they're in shape and they're in form. And a lot of times, Oakland, you know, Oakland, they run into weather issues. Um, tracks frozen quite a bit, you know. Um, I noticed that uh, Cox, you know, even though probably his horses will be running in Arkansas, like I think Monomoy Girl is at the fairgrounds. Uh, yes. Essential Quality is at the fairgrounds. Yes. I mean, he's got his his A1s are all at the fairgrounds, training, you know, uh, working. He's not at Oakland, even though that's going to be probably the, the ultimate. You don't have a string there. And I went and clocked at Oakland, and I've clocked. You no, know, he'll have a he'll have a big string. But I'm saying, I mean, the track at the fairgrounds, I think they're they're here because he knows it's more consistent. You know, he can. We're not gonna. They're not gonna close the track because it's it's the track is frozen, and he can get a, he can keep to his schedule. And then, look, I mean, the fairgrounds is a great racing surface. I mean, it just is. I um um are you um you looking forward for Oakland, Michael? I love Oakland. I, I absolutely love that. I've never been there. It's on my bucket list. Meant to go last year. You've never been there? We got to go. No. Well, the COVID got me last year, but COVID might, will probably get me this year. But um, I got a buddy up there, you know, John Hurd. 
uh, and we've just been, you know, you, hurricane herd. And, and so we've been talking about getting together and he goes quite, you know, quite often before the COVID, but I, I just, I love, I just, well, I think there's a lot of um, less informed money that goes into the pools there. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're going to find value on some horses that you wouldn't normally find, you know, what's, what's interesting about Oakland, um, for anybody that has not been there, the actual quarter pole is about 10 to 12 feet below where the finish line is. Um, if you look at the three quarter pole at the top of the turn, at the top of the clubhouse turn, it sits about 10 to 12 feet above where the half mile pole is or even the three eighths pole is they almost go downhill down 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 the backside then they go through a dip down on the quarter pole and then they're basically finishing uphill and when you go there and you realize that it that it's like the leaning tower of pisa racetrack it really is odd oddly shaped and and you can kind of understand why a certain part of the track would be frozen when it gets below 30 if it, there's a 10-foot difference between the top and the bottom. Um, it's a neat, neat little track. Um, there isn't a whole lot to do in Hot Springs, I'm going to tell you that. You'd only stay probably at one or two hotels. There used to be a lot to do in Hot Springs. You should read, uh, you should read David Hill's book, The Vapors. Uh, I don't know if you, if y'all have read it or, but you would, everybody on this call would love this book. It is about old hot springs and, you know, when it was wide open with gambling and mobsters and horse racing, and it is just a fantastic read. And I don't know if you know David Hill, but you should, uh, his writing is fantastic. And, uh, he, he's, he's going to make the big time with this book. I guarantee you it's going to be a movie. It's just a terrific read about the history of the old hot springs. Um, when there was a lot to do in hot springs, and I'll tell you one other thing about Oakland, I sure I'm going to miss it at the NHC um, because, you know, the NHC this year is going to be in August and Oakland won't be running as far as I know. And those betting, you know, the fields there, 12 horses, you know, $8,000 claimers. Those are just, those are bread and butter. I love those, you know, so it's going to be hard to replace Oakland uh, in August with, uh, I don't know, Ellis Park, I think is going to be one of the tracks that will be on the menu for the NHC, which is, that's a new one for me. I'll have to get to know Ellis Park for sure. By the way, the water and the springs at Hot Springs, I've got a chance to, to actually experience that. And I would go and fill up my water um, where they got this really hot spring that you can get. And the water is hot, right? And you fill up your water, and, and it's the best tasting water you ever had. You is know? it better and, than the old Red Spring at Saratoga? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, please, come on. That's some nasty stuff. <laughs> but um, the question was, um, uh, I had a question about whether what, we're, what we are doing for Oakland. I'm trying to get a clocker there. The problem is it's a very close – Michael knows that uh, – management, and they just don't want to share anything. And I don't want to get somebody that's going to give us all the garbage and not give us anything good. So – but I will have all the shippers coming in from, from, from fairgrounds and from Kentucky to race. And I think sometimes that's even more important than what's going over the track. Why do I say that? I've clocked at Oakland. I went there for about four weeks and I clocked. And I found that 
really good workhorses didn't fire next time out. And that, and, and, and that is a phenomenon that I've come across playing at lesser tracks. You know, I've clocked in the day, a heyday at Santa Anita, Belmont, Saratoga, Churchill. I've done all the major tracks. And the one thing with good horses, they work well, they run well. Um, as we have gotten more and more in, in, into maybe losing the middle the middle class of racehorses that you've got the cheap and you've got the good and the cheap horses don't hang on. Don't just don't hang on to their form. So if you work them, so I always say when you got cheaper claiming uh, non-winners of two, non-winners of threes, I always look for, if they have a big workout, I'm going to tell you on a high percentage of the time, they won't run a lick next time out. Why? Because that worked through them over the top. The trainer knows it. He puts them in a high spot. They work good. Then he drops them down to where they belong. No works and they fire. So I always look for that. I look for if a horse works real well, I'm kind of like, I'm not sure. And then I get the email. How come you didn't like that horse? It had a good work. Well, yes, but I've seen horses on the cheaper side really fall uh, almost fall off the, um, the, 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 the form wagon when they, when they, when they have to do too, too much too soon or they do too much in the morning. That's why they're cheap. You know, a cheap horse can go 59 on a, or 47 on a, on a hard track in the morning, but you get that same horse a week later or two weeks later on a track that's deeper, and it'll go 50. Can't go any faster than that. They're very affected in that uh, to, to individual um, uh, situations with the track that, that they just don't handle it. And I've learned that. So a lot of the times it's not just about a good work. It's about who that horse is. Um, there's some horses that work the same all the time. And then you go, Ooh, he worked good. And I'm like, well, he did the same thing three weeks ago. And he did the same thing nine weeks ago. He did the same thing a year ago and he didn't run. So it's all about sometimes where you place that horse. So sometimes when you look at a good work, especially at Oakland, and, and you get – you see action on it or somebody is jumping all over on it and because of the work, I, I, I tend to be a little bit more careful, you know, with it. I, I tend to be more on the conservative side when I see a good work because I know what I've seen in the past. If, I, I've seen everything. In the morning, I've seen everything. I've had the pleasure of having Michael come out there and clock with me. Um, and Michael's got a pretty good eye. You know, he's got a pretty good eye. I don't know if he could, get, he could uh, stomach getting up at 4.30 in the morning for nine weeks in a row. But Are you, uh, trying, to, are you trying to recruit me to go to Oakland? Yeah. You want to uh, go to Oakland? I, I, would, I, I would, but I don't think he could afford me. <laughs> well, true, true. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you shouldn't quit your day job. No. No. I'm ready to do that. And, and, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Mike, it, you end up spending more time trying to identify a horse that you have, no, you know, you have never bet ever, ever, you know, and at the same time, I think you can do as well by understanding the patterns that are going to come in front of you um, and understanding how they clock there and understanding what they do. So 
I, I just I think sometimes you have to pick your spots, just like anything in handicapping. Um, now, uh, Sean mentioned that uh, Oakland Park is the most difficult meet for him, um, but it's a great wagering track. I agree. Um, I think you almost have to follow hot trainers, don't you, Mike? Well, I mean, there's there's certainly trainers that win a lot of races there. Um, you know, trainers that point their whole year to Oaklawn Park. I mean, that's their whole that's their whole existence. Um, and that would mean the smaller guys that have all the Arky breads. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm be interested to see though, you know, just cause we're shuffling, uh, schedules this year, uh, with different tracks running at different times, you know, how does that, how is that going to affect Oakland park? I mean, I don't know, you know, Sam Houston is running, you know, some nice races. They got some guys down there that, you know, usually go up to, uh, Oakland. Maybe they're going to have two strings. I mean, you got your Brobergs, you know, and your Deodoros and, um, those guys, when they, when they come in for a meet, you know, they make it sometimes very difficult to bet on races, uh, with horses that they're in. Now I'll note that Broberg, and I'm going to say this, and he'll probably win five in a row at the fairgrounds, but I believe he's 0 for 23, 0 for 23 Who at the fairgrounds. Who is this now? Carl Broberg. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the leading. Well, he, he, he deals nothing with cheap horses. Well, I'm saying that, I mean, they run 62.5 at the, you know, fairground. They run 5,000 claimers at the fairgrounds every day, sometimes twice a day, and he's still 0 for 20-something. Uh, I've seen Diodoro run a couple horses there. They haven't done anything. So, But those guys at Oaklawn last year, you know, just – it was um, – well, with Diodoro, it was quite bizarre uh, how he was winning races with, with horses. Uh, quite bizarre is all I'll say. Now, I don't know if they're going to crack down on it, but those races are hard to bet on. But the ones that they're not in, um, they're great betting races. Well, the one thing about Diodoro, you've got to look at who his owners is. If it's M&M Racing, very live. I have a tendency to follow his M&M Racing. It's pretty simple, guys. It's, it's a customer. His, his top customer, his best customer is M&M Racing. Each trainer has his own top customer. And you've got to figure out which one it is. When you figure out it is, like, for example, Chad Brown and Clarevich, Baffert with Pegram and uh, Al Earnhardt. Now he's got Winstar, Pletcher and Winstar. Um, you know, so each guy has Centennial Farms and Jerkins. You've got to know who's got, who is the top gun owner in that barn because they will get pre preferential treatment. And once you know that, but so when Oakland gets tough, you don't know these little backyard farms that have these Arkansas breads and you don't know who their top owners. A lot of them are trainer owners that you never heard of. They pop out of the ground there, you know, so it, it, it can be tough. I've got a couple of tricks up my sleeve this year that we're going to try to identify more live horses coming from there. And it'll be interesting to see what we can do. Um, when we handicap, we use all our information. Um, I believe that the first part of the meet, I always look for guys that are pointing for that, coming from fairgrounds, uh, off the layoff, guys that are Oakland stalwarts. Um, um, I think it, the first always two, three weeks of the meet, 
are very, very um, chaos. So you can pick your shots. Michael, before we get to go, uh, anything else that, um, that you want to talk about? No, well, just one, I'll just pass on one little thing. You mentioned Klarovich and, uh, and uh, Chad Brown. I don't know that there is a more potent first-time starter combination in the country outside of Bob Baffert and every, every horse he runs in California. Uh, but I'm talking about horses that you can actually get a nice price on. Klarovich and Chad Brown, for some reason, I mean, obviously it's the owners want to win first out because they bet. They're betting people. Uh, you know, Judmont, Judmont, I don't think they're betting people. You know, they got money already. These Klarovich guys, they're competitive. Uh, they want to win first out, and they do at an incredible clip. Even when a horse is, I mean, just, you know, you're not going to get 20 to one. You're not going to get 10 to one, but you get so many seven to twos and nine to twos and five to twos on horses that just gallop. I don't know if you found that, Bruno. I haven't pulled the DFR formulator because I don't use it. Stats on it, but I'll just tell you, I almost bet Clarovich, Chad Brown, blind uh, in a maiden special race. You have to. Got, you know, they got Irad, Castellano, or, or, or Jose, and, you know, they get the best riders. And, you know, you know Irad and Jose bets. You know, they, they bet. So it, it makes it it makes it tough. But um, – the Pletcher is the, the Pletcher is the guy with Winstar. Whenever Pletcher and Winstar are together, you just, yeah, it's just amazing. Um, and and that's one of the things that eventually I like to be able to offer is we can run statistics like that where you can find out exactly on our site what is Pletcher and Winstar doing. That's something to look at. Ron, you got anything for Michael before we let him go? Just looking at the weather being nice on Saturday for the Lecompte, I, I feel like it's the first time I'm saying that about the Lecompte in a few years, although you might find historically my evidence is wrong, but it just feels that way. Uh, does the fact that we have a dry race course over the next several days impact what we're going to see uh, for, let's say, in the Lecompte, uh, where we've got Mandaloon and we've got the, the Stidhams and we've got... Uh, of looking like a full field, barring any scratches and such. Uh, how do you how do you look at the conditions, and maybe even if you want to go so far as look at the race? Well, I'm hopeful, you know, that it'll be a, a very fairly run. I'm, like you said, I think now that you say that, I seem to recall that we've had some sloppy lacomps in the last couple of years, and it's just very difficult to put form on a horse, you know. Um, but the race is loaded. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely loaded as usual. Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of speed in there. Um, you know, like really I'm going, I'm gunning, you know, for the lead type of speed. And so just looking through it now, um, I mean, you got, I don't know, Bruno would probably have a little bit more information on this horse, Santa Cruiser. Uh, I don't, you know what? I'll tell you one thing about that horse. He tries every single time out. You know, I had him the first time he ran, I think, at 45 to 1 yeah. um, to close off an exact. Um, he's yeah. a neat little horse. He rides. He ran, he, he's yeah. kind of interesting. In that race, he ran behind everybody's, you know, derby favorite, essential quality. So, I mean, he wasn't disgraced. He ran, you know, got beat four lengths, and then 
that last race, you know, with our jockey, James Graham, I know it was a maiden special, but I mean, he went to the front and he ran fast and he didn't quit. And so I have no doubt that James Graham is just going to go to the front and, you know, try to, try to steal it. And it just, these smiling 16th races, you know, they're going to favor horses that are closer to the lead. It's just a short run up and it's, you know, hard to, hard to close. So, you know, and with that in mind, Michael, do you, do you fade Mandaloon? Because right now he's in the 10. If Manor House scratches out, he'd go nine. But do you look at that outside post and say, okay, that's compelling enough for you to go against him? Well, no, you know what? Um, let me just jump in real quick. I, 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 that angle did not work with uh, War of Will when True. he won first time. True. You know, and he came from the 12 or 13 hole. So, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, we've had a couple of other ones that ran big from that. Well, that was a shorter too. race, Bruno. Yeah. So I, I would say Mandaloon, though, coming off the seven furlong race is going to show, you know, quite a bit of just natural, you know, speed. Um, he, he should be able to get his, his position. It's not like he's got a lot of speed inside of him to me. So I don't think the post position is going to compromise him. I mean, I got confidence in Florent Giroud to, to get a good spot, but I definitely think that, uh, you know, if I was looking for a horse that's going to be 10 to 1, Santa Cruiser, I think, is extremely live uh, in this spot. Hey, Michael, what are you doing Friday night? <laughs> <laughs> Check with me tomorrow. I will. Maybe we can that's get me. you to pop on for a little bit and talk yeah. about a few races. I'd love to do that. I'd love yeah. To. But, right, uh, check with me tomorrow. All right, thanks. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Hey, Michael, Michael, thank, thank you so much. Michael Baycheck, guys. Thank you. I want to thank Michael Baychuk. He's a great racing friend, uh, and uh, we really enjoyed having him on the Zoom. Uh, and uh, we might try to bring him back on soon again when we've got some of these major races showing up at Fairgrounds and even Oakland. And, Ron, what did you take out of the Zoom tonight? Oh, my goodness. I mean, between the part where he's talking about the rail bias, depending on where it's positioned, and to keep an eye on where that is, that told me a whole lot. And, frankly, just that I was all ready to fade Mandaloon being drawn outside, but his thought that Florent Giroux can get him well-positioned despite that poor post-draw in the Lecompte has me thinking twice. So a, a good way to set us up for what you're looking at as an impromptu Zoom class on Friday. Well, you were kind of making fun of me talking about I look like somebody from the Dark Shadows You did. If you didn't, yeah, if you didn't see, and you can, if you didn't see Bruno on the Zoom call, rather than just hearing it here. Bruno sounds like this altogether guy right now, suave, sophisticated. He looked like Barnabas Collins floating his head in the darkness on dark shadows back in the 1960s and 1970s. So uh, that that was a lovely lighting, yeah. I got something for you, though. Uh Uh-oh. You are, with your goodness and oh gosh, (laughs) you are the Philip Rivers of radio. He's saying, he's saying, I've got a lot of potential with a noodle arm and kids I don't even know. <laughs> Gosh, jolly. <laughs> Golly. You listen, yeah, you listen to him talk. He's hilarious. He doesn't cuss. Well, he's, he's fun. He's got, yeah, he is. I got to watch him um, over years and years in California at San Diego with the Chargers. And you got to appreciate him. You know, he's, he's a gamer. But anyway, um, Really enjoyed having again uh, Michael Baychuk, Ron Flatter. We always enjoy having you on board. And until next time, 
on the Racing with Bruno podcast. Get more from Bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.